Hey, how to survive the end of the world listeners. My name is Kate Werning and I am visiting you from the land of healing justice podcast. I am an organizer and a seeker of all things healing and spirit, and I'm here by Autumn's generous invitation to share the following episode with you. Healing Justice Podcast is a gathering place for organizers and people working for social change to share conversations and practices that support us in our pursuit of collective healing and social justice. And we put out this bonus episode earlier this week that's very timely about coronavirus or COVID-19. There is so much information out there and it's really hard to navigate. Should we be freaking out that it's the apocalypse? I mean, if you're here listening to How to Survive the End of the World, maybe that's your your, your penchant. <laughs> um, but, or should we be thinking like, oh, it's no big deal, right? And probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. And so I had been really, really hungry to find a resource that is coming from the lens of disability justice, healing justice, of centering people with chronic illness, a social justice lens, a political lens. So much in the political landscape is already shifting right now with what's at stake in this election. And on top of it, there are a bunch of new political um, threats and opportunities that are emerging with this moment um, of COVID-19 spreading globally. And so we aren't able to answer all of those questions in this episode, but we do hope that the following helps you out. We're going to talk about considerations for whether to cancel um, events that you're in charge of, um, medical information that impacts individuals and groups, invocations and grounding practices, dialogue um, from a chronic illness-centered lens, and some writing, a beautiful poem from Dory Midnight. And all of this is being shared from the March 7th, 2020 webinar that was called COVID-19, Coronavirus Preparation for People Living with Chronic Illnesses in the United States. This webinar was hosted by the Cranky Queer, J.D. Davids, and People's Hub, who was represented by Executive Director Alandria Williams, as well as a ton of co-sponsoring organizations you'll hear us thank at the end. Also, thank you to facilitators Evie Orman and Dr. Crisaris Sarnelli. And unlike much of what we're seeing in the media and public discussion right now, this virtual gathering that they organized just in a week's time that had hundreds of people on it, centered the wisdom and life experiences of people who live with chronic illness and disability. You can find the transcript and a robust and growing resource list at healingjustice.org slash podcast slash corona. So I'm sitting here with Marise Mitchell Brody, who so graciously agreed uh, at uh, several hours notice to come over here at 9.30 at night to record <laughs> this section for you all to get some advice about how we can be thinking about this time as organizers, as conveners, as people who are responsible for bringing people together. What are some of the things we should be thinking about um, heading into this moment? So hey, Maurice. Hi, Kate. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are for people who don't know you? Sure, yeah. Um, I am a lifelong New Yorker, and I am living with chronic illness, and I've been a healing justice organizer for some time, 
And I have been doing a lot of organizing and thinking around the intersections of disability and healing for um, about 12 years. And I'm a social worker as well. Yeah, I'm so grateful you could share a little bit because I've had so many friends talking about on social media and also asking me directly like, hey, we have this, you know, training coming up this weekend. We have a conference in a month or two months. We Mm -hmm. have um, an all facilitator meeting where we're supposed to all fly to Florida in three weeks, like people trying to figure out what should we be doing about this. Mm -hmm. And when we aired this episode on Healing Justice podcast, just yesterday (laughs) feels like a week ago um this is something we actually didn't touch on Mm. is like one you know in the rest of this episode folks will hear advice and considerations for decisions to make about your own well-being Mm -hmm. but um but we didn't go through what what does it mean when you're in a position of decision making in a way that you're responsible for group well-being yeah and so you've been writing a lot about this on your social media and so immediately i was like marisa has something to say about this so um (laughs) can you tell us a little bit about what you've been thinking about yeah sure so first i think we have to acknowledge a few things and one is that the racism and xenophobia that have accompanied COVID-19 are violent and harmful. And also, and I have to thank my partner Che and a couple other people for this, lifting this up at this moment, that the state has a long history and present of using quarantine and pandemic as a way to harm and control people. Um, And so it makes sense that people might be suspicious of some of what's coming their way. Mm -hmm. The other piece is that A lot of people can't work remotely and can't afford to work or will get fired if they don't work. Um, Mm -hmm. And some people and organizations do work that depends on crowds for income. So those are all very real things at this moment. And then the last thing is just that the way that organizing is traditionally done, whether it's a conference or a campaign or a benefit show, is done oftentimes with big groups of people gathering in person. And it sucks to have to change that. There's a lot of power in that. Um, Mm -hmm. So those things are all true. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of other things that are also true. And one is that we can intervene in the racism and xenophobia of this moment without minimizing the very real risks of COVID-19, especially for people who are immunocompromised, who are elders, who don't have access to health care, who are houseless, who are locked up. And we have to center that. And that we can and we should come up with community-centered responses that are in line with our movement values. We don't have to depend on the state Mm. to come up with solutions that work well for us. So what are some of the actual risks of traveling or being in group spaces at this time? So one thing is that the more people who are in a space and the closer people are to each other, especially in enclosed spaces, the higher the risk of transmission. Um, One story was that somebody with COVID-19 went dancing in Berlin and 16 other people got sick from being at that same club that night. Um, And so we really need to keep in mind that if too many people get it at once, it could overwhelm our healthcare system and what's happening in Italy right now. The greatest risk of traveling is not that an individual person will get sick, right? Like many people may not get too sick, but it's that they will transmit the virus back to either 
a community that they're coming into that hasn't had it yet mm-hmm. or back to their own community. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing that we can do to reduce the risks of COVID-19 is social distancing because it'll do what's called flattening the curve, which basically means reducing the total number of people who have COVID-19 at any given time, at any given place, to make sure that there are beds in hospitals and access to care for the people who need it most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this part, this was when we were speaking earlier, this was a huge shift for me to think about like, when I was thinking about should I keep my travel plans or do I feel comfortable going to, like I have concert tickets this sure. weekend, right? Like am I going to go to that concert or not, for example? Um, I was really thinking about that from my own personal risk standpoint mm-hmm. of like, well, weighing for myself, do I think I'm going to get sick or not? Which, by the way, is like an impossible thing to weigh sure. for yourself because how would you possibly know? Right. But it really impacted me hearing you say like the thing that we really need to be thinking about with travel or with gathering in large groups is this risk. Like when I make a choice to put my body in a certain place, mm-hmm. I might become a carrier or a bringer of the virus from one place to another that didn't mm-hmm. otherwise have it. And so even if I end up being okay, or even if I don't display symptoms, mm. I could have negative impact on communities that I care about. So that felt like a huge shift for me and makes me think, given that, like mm-hmm. that has such a gravity to it. Mm-hmm. What are some of the considerations that you recommend organizations or people making mm-hmm. decisions to mm-hmm. be thinking about right now? Yeah. I mean, I really think that one of the things that's important to keep in mind is that Unfortunately, knowing what we know about COVID-19 and knowing that we care about centering our work by and for in the people that a certain issue most impacts, right? So in this case, elders, immunocompromised people, houseless folks. In this moment, unfortunately, community care looks like canceling everything. It looks like in, except in very specific cases, it looks like finding other ways to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really tough moment, though, and I know this, that for people to be canceling things. Yeah, I mean, the, I especially think about my friends working on political campaigns and doing GOTV for the primaries right now. It's such a high stakes time to not put people out on doors or to cancel Mm -hmm. rallies or for any of the rest of us working in movement organizations to slow campaign work or divert campaign work in any way. Yeah, that feels really intense. Yeah. And I absolutely understand that people are making some really hard choices. I know that some people might be making these choices based on, well, it's not here yet. Uh Right. But it's important to remember that COVID-19 takes between three and 14 days to show up. So that's a long incubation period and it basically means that as soon as there's one people one person in your general area other people likely have it Mm -hmm. and so I really think that everyone planning events should be prepared to cancel any non-essential in-person gatherings and have backup plans in place and to just say that there's just extreme risk with any form of group travel that's train, air, bus, because of people being close together and because of the spread. Mm-hmm. And just to be really clear that for people who are doing organizing, there are very few things that can't be done virtually at this point because our healthcare system is not ready. And we have to be thinking about being in this for the long haul, even if we have some short-term losses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's 
also important to, that you can also postpone events instead of canceling them. When you postpone them, though, I'd encourage people to keep in mind that we don't know how long this is going to pan out. Most epidemiologists, people who study how diseases are transmitted, think that it'll last at least three months in any place where uh, it's just hitting, and it could last longer than that. So people should be prepared to have a backup plan for your backup plan if you postpone an event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only potential exception would be for people when you have an everyday activity where you're providing direct material aid to help ensure people most at risk get the care they need. That's something like a drop-in center, right? And in that case, absolutely, you may want to think about finding ways to support people. And in the document that we'll have linked, um, there are some more examples of this. But the takeaway from that is that if your organization isn't prepared to take on the costs associated with medical care for COVID-19 for your staff, you should not be pressuring your people to put themselves at risk by coming to work or attending gatherings. And Mm. so really, that's one good way to test for what you're willing to take on and what you're willing to risk (laughs) in considering holding things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else that you think about that you'd want to share or alternatives that you've been exploring for what it can look like to shift events? Yeah. So as a member of disabled community, you know, folks have been organizing events online for a long time now. Um, And so things like webinars, not just saying, oh, go on Zoom, but Zoom is a great platform. There are all kinds of breakout rooms. You can do all sorts of things with that. You can, if you cancel a conference, you don't have to cancel it entirely. You could, you know, have a few different webinars webinars. Um, You can make a conference on social media. Again, these are some of the tips that you can find online in this resource. Think about like, oh my goodness, I would so love to attend a party or a concert like and put on a fabulous outfit and join all my people via webinar. Like, I would love to show off on the internet. There, These are ways that disabled and chronically ill people have been taking care of each other for a long time. Mm. Um, I have so many video dates with people. Sometimes one of my friends who lives across the street will text each other from bed, from our mm-hmm. own beds. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a time for showing up with solidarity and care mm-hmm. um, and creativity. And our movements have that in abundance. Mm-hmm. So... I guess that's where I'd leave that. Mm. Well, thank you so much for all of these tips and also for, with such care, putting them into a comprehensive resource, this document um, for recommendations for folks um, who are considering what to do with their movement gatherings. Um, That resource is going to be linked along with all the other resources you hear us talk about in this episode at healingjustice.org slash podcast slash corona. Um, And that link is also in the show notes. So thank you for taking good care of yourself and the people that you care about and for looking out in movement space and aggregating these tips for us. Absolutely. Thank you for letting me come and share what I've learned from my people with y'all. Hey. So now we're going to dive into our recording from this past weekend. First, we'll hear from JD in a conversation that we recorded with some framing and context from last Saturday. We'll uh, get to experience a grounding exercise, lots of information from a holistic medical doctor about what we know about coronavirus so far, um, and we'll hear a beautiful poem 
from during midnight and we'll also hear some specific perspectives around centering disability and chronic illness in these moments so let's tune in to the conversation with jd Hey, JD, how you doing? Hey, I'm okay. I'm a little tired. <laughs> We're tired because we just went through this yeah. like four-hour experience of hosting this webinar. You've been hustling to pull this together in a rapid response way for a week and a half. Yeah? More like a, a week, but yeah. <laughs> a week. Can you tell us a little bit about like your inspiration to pull this together and sort of what happened when you put the call out? Well, I've been a part of um, networks of people living with chronic illness or disability, particularly uh, HIV for a lot of my life. And I've seen the power of people who know what they know and know what they need, changing their circumstances, changing the world, um, and in a way that helps everyone. So when I've seen how this has been rolling out, I wanted to do what I felt like I could do, knowing what I do know, which is to put out a call for help. And what is the response that you saw? Well, um, we pulled together this call for a webinar, which meant that people were going to be able to be together uh, online. Um, some people on video where they could, um, you know, uh, look at a chat room and see each other's faces. Some people who could be on by the phone. And um the first registration started coming in five days ago, and um, ultimately it's been about a thousand people so far that want to be a part of conversations or get the follow-up information or be a part of an ongoing network that really centers the um, experiences and knowledge of people living with chronic illness and disability. So I'd say that's yeah. pretty, pretty big. <laughs> pretty big. I mean, seriously, in five days. And you yeah. put this out through the Cranky Queer, which is like in the years that I've known you, you've been talking about this. This has been very much your actual life and, and the seed of the work that you do for a long time. But it's only in the past few weeks, really, that it's become a thing online and that people can find the Cranky Queer on social media and follow your writing and more consistently through your newsletter. Um, will you, Yeah. Will you tell us a little bit about the Cranky Queer and your vision for that. Yeah, so I'm the cranky queer because we've already reclaimed queer, so now I'm reclaiming cranky. And um, I'm working on a book called The Cranky Queer Guide to Chronic Illness. Um, what I found as a person who's been living with chronic illness most of my life to some degree or another is that, uh, and who's been a, a healthcare activist and a queer activist most of my life now too, is that the way larger systems of care, information, the media, politics, um, talks about... Um, health, illness, wellness, medicine, systems of care, and all of it. Well, we know there's lots of problems. But in particular, what I saw, which also included working in digital health media, is that the way we can access information, or at least I've been able to access information, didn't really serve me because people are sliced and diced into um, what kind of healthcare provider specializes in a diagnosis they may have, or people often can't get a diagnosis if they don't have resources and certain kinds of privilege. Um, or it might be about um, if you have a condition that has a uh, treatment that is expensive um, and patented, then pharmaceutical companies are going to buy space and ads and sometimes actual content from online health resources. And so you'll find a whole lot of information 
I would say information with air quotes, though, because often it's the same kind of article over and over because it fits the mandates of sometimes of what the advertiser wants. I mean, you know, there's a lot that I sort of every all of us who deal with chronic illnesses or disability, we have our own path. Right. And on our path that we've often had to pave on our own. Um We've learned a lot and we do a lot and we support each other a lot. And so I'd like to share some of the things that I've been thinking about, wondering about or learned and hear from others. Mm -hmm. Cool. So some of the other people that we got to connect with on the webinar today and voices that people will hear in this recording that follows, which may at some point sound like a webinar. You might hear people say, you know, put this in the chat box. It was super participatory. I think one of the most impactful things for me was to see the way that people in the chat were just crowdsourcing. Like when you talk about people who live with chronic illness and with disabilities being the forefront of, of wisdom and expertise on how to deal with health crisis moments, like the one we're collectively facing right now, like that was so evident in the chat of this event that we just did of just people saying, here's how you make sanitizer at home. Here is how to solve this problem if you don't have access to masks. What are we going to do um, for encampments and people who are living on the streets who don't have access to self-quarantining in the same kind of way that we're talking about? What do you do if you're quarantined, but you're dealing with isolation, right? Like what is all of the wisdom that already exists in the community? People just sharing with each other and organizing each other, how are we going to take care of each other? So in addition to all of that happening in the background, we're going to hear from a couple voices in this recording. Can you tell us who we're hearing from? Sure. Okay. So um, we had uh, Evie Orman from Emergent Phoenix Consulting, um, who led us in presencing um, and held down a breakout room that offered grounding practices throughout our time together. Um, Dr. Crisari Sarnelli, um, and then Elandria Williams from um, People's Hub were the primary other speakers and facilitators you'll hear. Yeah, super grateful to People's Hub for coming in and holding us in some technological infrastructure that had mm -hmm. some disability justice considerations, and, mm -hmm. and to Evie for holding a grounding space throughout the entire call that people could actually tap out of the main group conversation and go and do some grounding practices. That was really cool. So as we jump in, we're actually going to start by hearing from Evie with a little bit of grounding practice to help all of us ground and come into our bodies as we talk about something that can feel a little ungrounding or a little scary is talking about a virus spreading around the world. It's a little freaky, right? And so uh, here we are with Evie leading us in grounding practice. Hi, my name is Evie Orman and I'm from Emergent Phoenix Consulting. I'm currently in Salt Lake City, just so you know where I'm located. More and more research is showing um, around our brain and trauma that our bodies are our greatest source of information as far as how to heal and how to be connected to the world and to other humans. And sometimes in situations like a rapid spread of the coronavirus that's happening now um, for everyone, but especially for folks who are living with chronic illness, um, Thinking and talking about it can bring up a lot of fear, and that can activate our amygdala in our brains, um, and we can experience that as trauma or as a trigger. So um, 
talking, thinking about talking about things that are about our finite bodies can be frightening sometimes. And um, when our amygdala is lit up with fear, it overrides our prefrontal cortex, which is the part right in the front of our brains. And that part of our brain does really Im many important behaviors like planning, like empathy and compassion. And for this conversation, obviously, we want those functions to be completely available as much as possible. And I say our collective nervous system um, and our individual nervous system, because by gathering together at the same time for a shared purpose, we have already created a field and all of our nervous systems are linked together and connected and we are listening or reading the same words and contemplating related things um, and even just taking a moment to think about that and presence that we all showed up here and we are here to share a conversation with each other um, that can start to settle our nervous systems. And I will hand it over to Chrysaris to share these words while we presence. Hello, beautiful people. Uh, hello again. So we're in all different time zones, I believe. Um, some folks may be just waking up. Others may have had a whole day full of care and other work. Basically, we're coming from a lot of different experiences. So I'd like to take this moment for us to take a collective breath together. So we can go ahead and take a deep breath in and out. Another deep breath in and out with a sigh. <sighs> now settle into your body. As we continue breathing in and out, be sure to breathe in gratitude for yourself for choosing this time to be here. With every breath out, let fall away, roll off all the things that will not be attended to during this time. Briefly scan from your crown to your root for any areas in your body that are asking for extra attention right now. Breathe lovingly into those places. All of you is welcome here. We'd also like to take this time to acknowledge those who have passed as a result of coronavirus, both directly and indirectly. May we honor them with our gathering and by how we protect and care for each other and ourselves. Your grief is also welcome here. Please take another deep breath in in gratitude for your body, mind, spirit, and all they do. And out loving energy to all the people who may be in the room with you, on your street, who live in your town, city, state, landmass, to all the people on the planet right now, to all the people who have been and all the people who will be, may we feel our loving breath connect us. In one more time and out. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thank you for sit, taking some time to sit with yourself with um, where you are right now and 
to everyone who's brought us this far in our time together today. Uh, my name is J.D. Davids, and I'm just going to share for a few minutes my thoughts on how we know what we know and we know what we need. Um, right now is a very big part of my ritual year because it's Purim, which is a um, Jewish holiday that's Carnivalian and about uh, the world turning upside down and being topsy-turvy. Um, there's always something, you know, being topsy-turvy. And what's been interesting being at Purim, um, in a Purim ritual space as a queer living with uh, chronic illnesses um, is that when, I, when the world turns upside down, maybe when it's recognized that those who know what we know and know what we need get listened to or get seen. And so uh, last night I dreamed about two of my um, HIV activist ancestors. Um, so I'd like to um, say hello to John Paul Hammond and Kiyoshi Kuramiya and talk about the knowledge that they brought into my life very quickly. John Paul bringing the knowledge of what we now I think would call or the practice of what we now call pleasure activism um, with a really loud whooping call at dance parties. Um, and Kiyoshi Kuramiya by understanding that we work wherever we are, we work in the ways that we work and that we always can bring whatever we bring to work together on what we need. Um, in the, for, for years and years in the HIV pandemic in particularly in the US, um, there was no standard of care that was put out by um, the, there was no central standard of care uh, for medical care um, in HIV disease. So ACT UP Philadelphia did 13 editions of a standard of care. And we published it. Um, it was um, in English and Spanish, and it was something that was two sides that people could, of a you know, four-page document that people could take with them to their medical providers, take with them to their appointments, and say, here's what I know I know, and here's what I know I need. And that has been the lesson that I've taken with me since those times. But I just wanted to ask what I'm afraid I already know the answer to. How many articles, how many mainstream news stories, how many TV reports have any of us seen in the last couple of weeks, the last month, that have asked or talked to, featured or quoted the real experts in what they're talking about right now? How many have talked to people who live in their beds about how to live in a bed. How many people, how many reports have talked to people who live at home about how to thrive living at home? How many people have been talked to or given space and a broadcast mic to talk about what they do to stay healthy in a circumstance where the, circum where the, the circumstances of their living situation are not under their own control? The people who have been living with a pandemic of marginalization, disregard or neglect for much of their lives or their whole lives or the people who have the experts we, expertise we need today and that could help the rest of the world yet continue to be disregarded. I identify as an elder, which is a word I think I made up that has to do with being an elder, maybe faster than I would have been otherwise, who has learned some things by living with chronic illness. And I, um, am always um, grateful for the disability justice movement and its model of crip wisdom 
that um, insists on what I'm saying now and has been um, bringing people together who are the leaders in living as themselves um, and that we collectively can demand to be regarded as the experts in what's going on today. We're asking people, if you can, to contribute to a forum where we're connecting, continuing to connect, uh, collect your wisdom and experiences, and also to um, share the resources that you found useful or that you've created and would like to get out there, and to continue to express your um, questions and concerns. Um, this and the next link I'm going to tell you both use um, letters that stand for Chronically Ill Leadership for Emergent Times, CILFET, C-I-L-F-E-T. So the first link is um, bit.ly, which is something we use to shorten links. So it's B-I-T dot L-Y slash CILFET share, C-I-L-F-E-T share, S-H-A-R-E. That's bit.ly slash C-I-L-F-E-T-S-H-A-R-E. We also, for those who ha uh, have, a have funds that you could contribute or know those who could, please um, consider making a contribution um, through, we have a uh, GoFundMe up, and that's available if you go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash C-I-L-F-E-T, funds, F-U-N-D-S. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash C-I-L-F-E-T, F-U-N-D-S. Um, and I'd like to give the mic back to uh, Chris Aris, who's going to be presenting some information from their perspective as a uh, physician. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris Aris I'm a family medicine doctor practicing currently in Harlem, New York City. Uh, I wanted to state that I come to you not as an expert on coronavirus. For example, I'm not on any specific public health panels or committees. I come to you as a healthcare provider and a healer uh, who has reviewed the information that we currently know about the coronavirus, um, as I've obtained it from weekly health provider calls with the New York State Department of Health, um, conversations with other physicians, including infectious disease doctors. Um, and I've also gained knowledge from my experiences caring for for folks in my practice and also some of what's been circulated in the in the interwebs so uh, it's important that there's to note that there's not a lot that there's a lot that we don't know about the virus uh, but also that what we already know helps us to create to care for this illness uh, for example we have information about similar viruses uh, to coronavirus um, so we can use that information to, to help us um, guide this time um, and it's also true that while we don't have all the answers that we would like right now uh, it is also true that we collectively have all that we need, just like JD said earlier. Um, and I'm really grateful and feel very honored and privileged to be able to learn with you um, and to be uh, creating spaces where we can access all that we have um, to help care for all of us. So for our time together, what I'll focus, there's a lot that we could talk about, <laughs> but what I'll focus on today, um, and there's more information in the, in the sheet that you'll be provided, um, but I'm going to focus on the healthcare precautions that you can take. Um, also discuss how we can care for each other, uh, depending on what symptoms we're having. Um, and then also discuss when to seek care and how to go about doing that. Okay, so uh, for ways to stay as healthy as possible. So right now there's no cure for the coronavirus. And we also don't know if folks who uh, have gotten it before can get reinfected. 
once they've recovered from it. Um, and although this is likely true because it's if it behaves as viruses like it before, then people won't be reinfected. We need to make sure that we stay as healthy as possible to prevent um, infection. And so uh, the, some of the things that we can do, you, you mentioned in terms of your caring already in the chat. So uh, pay extra attention during this time to your wellness practices. So meditation, grounding, mindfulness, stress meditation, mediating practices, uh, also eating as healthily as you can, uh, movement, massage as you can as well, uh, plant allies as, um, as we discussed earlier, vitamins as well. Um, we know that uh, elderberry, garlic, echinacea, vitamin D, C, zinc, and omega-3 have been um, linked to helping improve immune function. So that's, these are good things to take uh, while you're not sick. Um, you can also take them when you are, but um, these are things that are, can help boost up the immune system. Uh, we can also practice compassion, kindness, and care with yourself um, and with other people. We know that this uh, decreases stress and improves our immune response. I know that for us, we've seen during this time a lot of things on the internet <laughs> and around. I know that in, um, in the New York City subways, we've seen it as well, uh, of people um, expressing racism and xenophobia. We don't need to, to have that going on. So it's very, very important that we be kind and, and caring to each other. Um, and I think it, in, during this moment, I'd like to share um, about the interconnectedness that we know that we have with each other um, and the interdependence that we're looking to create. I saw a patient just uh, on Thursday who um, worked for a, a Chinese warehouse and is now out of work because people aren't um, seeking business from that particular warehouse. And so because of that, he's also now less mobile, uh, more sedentary, and as a result of that has um, increased his blood pressure, which is something that he needs to be, <laughs> that we need to make sure that we, we care for. And so it's way up, obviously stress about not having a job. And also um, we know that for him, when he's not moving very much, he, his blood pressure increases. So um, I know that the effects of coronavirus go past anybody having the illness or trying to prevent it, it's all of us are connected in that, in that way. Um, we also wanna um, make sure that you get to know your neighbors um, and organizations in your community that can help you. And now the, the next thing is to talk about preventing the spread of the coronavirus. So everyone's heard it, wash your hands. <laughs> um, there's so many different ways. Uh, we wanna make sure that it's done often and properly with soap and water is really the best uh, the best way to do that um, when that's accessible. Um, there's also hand sanitizer that you can use. There's a, a craze I've seen also on the interwebs about um, they've them being out, which is very serious, and also um, for, uh, for people to make their own hand sanitizer. Um, and so there's a link in the, um, in the document that you have that will tell you about um, how to make one. And there's also an article about what you might not Want to make one because it may not be effective uh, so it's just important to follow the directions as as best as possible um, and also if your hands are soiled um, visibly you should use uh, soap and water also you want to be able to cover your cough and your sneezes uh, so not with your hand but with a tissue that you can discard or you can cough into your elbow um, to help you with that um, and if you are sick with a cough fever or other cold-like symptoms 
stay home if you're able. Um, we understand that not, not everyone can stay home from work, um, that there are jobs that don't have sick days, um, that there's fear of, of loss of, of income. So, um, but for those who have that accessible or, or can create um, care ne networks around that, calling your, your work and letting them know um, what's going on, um, they can hopefully during this time be more lenient um, about letting you stay home. Um, you also want to clean and disinfect the surfaces that you're around often. Um, so there's cleaning and disinfecting are different things. Cleaning is wiping with soap and water, um, and that takes away the germs from the area, but it doesn't kill the germs. So you want to disinfect um, also, and you can do that uh, with, there's a lot of cleaning wipes, but those also might be running out um, with folks uh, going out to buy them en masse. Um, but you can also use bleach and uh, diluted bleach um, or 70% alcohol or more. Um, and there's also a link there about how to, how to make that and how to properly disinfect. Um, and I'll discuss more later when we talk about caring for, for folks that are sick. Um, but it's, impo it's important that if there's a person that's in a room that's on their own and is ill, you don't have to disinfect that often so that you decrease the exposure um, to the virus. Um, also, avoiding handshakes uh, is, is something to, to do. Um, find new and old ways of greeting people so you can pound and fist bump, that's okay. Elbows, my aunt uh, stopped me the other day and she said she gave me her foot. Um, so if that's accessible, lower extremities to, to do that and saying hello um, is a way to, uh, to greet. And also just wanted to, to mention that this is not spread in, by food. So that's not something to, to worry about. Who is a higher risk? This is preparing uh, for dealing with this virus and people uh, with chronic illness and um, people with chronic illness, severe chronic illness are um, at higher risk. I wanted to, to alert you that as of now, there's no evidence that children are at higher risk. The majority of folks who have been affected um, and in the greatest numbers have been in China and uh, it's very largely adult. Um, we don't have any specific information right now uh, for pregnant people, um, but we do know that pregnant people experience uh, changes in their immune system that would make them more susceptible to, to all sorts of viral um, and respiratory infections like COVID. Um, we also know for sure that elderly folks and people with severe chronic illness of the heart, lung, and kidney, and those who are immunosuppressed are also twice as likely uh, to get ser serious illness. We know that um, the majority of people who have ex uh, been proven to have COVID have had mild cases, mild to moderate cases, um, and those of who have been severe um, have been folks who, who live with chronic um, illness. Um, specifically for folks with diabetes, I know that there are some here. Um, what makes folks that are living with diabetes and maybe no other illnesses more susceptible to um, getting a severe case of it is if um, you are constantly hyperglycemic so if your blood sugar is usually above 200 or your A1C, if, um, if you know that is usually higher than seven. Um, but if you're usually well controlled, so you have um, your A1C is usually seven or below, or you have um, your sugars are usually 140, then you're likely to have the same response. 
as folks who, who are not living with diabetes. I want us to take a deep breath with that. Or maybe I just need to take a breath. Uh, we're gonna go now to the, the caring for ourselves and each other. So um, for folks, I'll start with the mild symptoms. So mild symptoms are fever, subjective, which means that you feel like you have a fever or objective that you measure with a thermometer yourself. Um, that's one of the primary uh, symptoms. And also it can be and or cough um, and a runny nose, but you don't have any trouble breathing. So these are maybe like a mild cold symptoms. The things that you should do, if you're able to please stay at home, do not visit a clinic, do not visit the emergency room for these symptoms. Um, this helps us prevent illness in others, um, and that exposes uh, other folks who are ill less to, to, these, um, to this illness. Um, and so I, I wanted to mention, I, I put on here, um, the flu, for example, is still um, rampant. Um, and in the US, in the, since last October, we've had almost 500 million people sick and up to 50,000 deaths in the United States from the flu. Um, so if you're ill and you're walking about, then you're still also uh, susceptible to that illness. Um, and I've seen many people just in the last week coming in to visit me for very, very minor uh, cold-like symptoms, um, which we, would not, we wouldn't test for at this time. Um, and if that person were COVID positive, then they might, they might be able to pass it on to someone else who, whose immune system wouldn't um, be able to recover as quickly. So, so please stay home. Um, you also want to um, while you're preparing for this, is contact your healthcare provider if you have one um, to ask about help for getting your extra medication. So if you have regular medications that you get refilled, see if you don't already have this, you should uh, go ahead and do that because I think it's helpful um, to ask for a 90-day supply of your medicines. Um, this won't work if you have restrictive medic medications like certain pain medications or um, anxiety medications. Uh, this wouldn't be possible, but for other uh, medications, you can do that. Um, also, some insurances don't allow this, but you can always ask. Um, and then if you can't uh, get them that way, you can also uh, switch over or connect to a mail order uh, system to, to have your medications mailed to you so you don't have to leave home to get them. Um, you can also get and use over-the-counter medications. I know there, I have some patients who don't ever want to take any medication, um, but it, these will make you feel better in addition to the, um, the plant allies that we've talked about. Um, and you, if you have any ideas or suggestions, you can feel free to, to put them in the chat. Um, but you can take medication for congestion, um, and it'll make you at a lesser risk of getting um, an infection that you need antibiotics for. The neti pot or saline rinse washes are sometimes scary, um, but they, they're amazing at clearing out the sinuses and, and help you feel better at least uh, for the few minutes after you do it. So I recommend that as well. Um, the other things to do is have uh, household items and groceries. Um, it's not something that you need to stock up your home. It's not, um, you, can, you can always go back out or have if you have care networks, people who can get things for you um, who are not ill, um, just so you stock up on things that you need for, for the day. Um, and also do what helps you feel good when you have a cold, right? So 
warm liquids, soup, tea, uh, whatever that is for you, staying away from, from things that um, can make you sicker, like alcohol or lung irritants, um, eating good food that makes you feel good, enjoying good company um, in person or online. Uh, there's lots of ways to, to connect, even if we can't connect in person, just like we're doing today. Um, also, it's really important um, to ensure that folks know that you're sick. Um, so if you are um, a person who has a caregiver or multiple caregivers, they'll know that you're sick, but maybe also um, having a, a, a larger extended group of caregivers in case those caregivers get sick. Um, so you can have a plan for that. Um, and also maybe a, a list of emergency contacts. Um, and if there are folks who don't have anyone at this time, um, there's, you can find a list of uh, healthcare um, settings or clinics that have folks that you can talk to, um, who, who may have social workers that you can connect to, who will then also tell you about organizations and things like that that um, might be able to, to help you or visit you in your home as well. There, you can talk, if you have a, a regular doctor, they can always have someone come to your home instead of having you come to the, uh, to whatever site of care you normally get. Um, this is the longer, the longest version is still um, the mild symptoms, but moderate symptoms are pretty similar. You wanna wear a mask if you're sick. Um, and don't, if you go outside, you wanna make sure that you're not um, infecting other folks. So, um, and you wanna do that until you no longer have a cough or fever symptoms, okay? And you wanna not reuse the masks because uh, they're already contaminated once you use them and then you're more likely to infect other people. And so the people who are well should not use them. I just wanted to show you here, this is a N95 respirator um, and some folks are buying these things and um, then other folks are not able to access them. Um, for this, you have to be fitted for that to make sure that it fits actually in your face correctly and that um, you're not getting air out or, or things in. And it's a few minute process. So you wanna make sure you're not buying these and then using them incorrectly. In the moderate symptoms, the thing to remember is that um, you just feel worse. But if you have any questions, please feel free to call um, your, um, your healthcare providers if you have them or anyone that are around. Um, to check in with them about your symptoms to see if you need to come to the to the clinic or to the hospital to, or to wherever um, they they need um, to have you be there. Um, and also, um, once you're there, they'll let you know whether or not you need to be tested uh, for COVID, and uh, they'll call the Department of Health um, to figure out what the next steps are. And that's different for for each person. Um, so, and right now, there's no commercial testing uh, planning. Uh, there's commercial testing planning and process, but the places where you can get uh, tested are just large healthcare facilities and um, regular, regular clinics. So now for severe symptoms, this is the most important. Severe symptoms, is the, the main one is trouble breathing, right? So if you feel new tightness or heaviness in your chest, you have bluish lips in children, if their ribs are collapsing or turning blue, or they're breathing by flaring their their nostrils, those are signs that um, there's respiratory distress. Um, that's a sign to call um, 911. Also, if there's new confusion or lethargy, um, or you're not able to wake someone up, so if they're kind of sleeping and you go and go like this and they just for a moment stay awake and go back, 
that's a reason, um, or any quickly changing symptoms. So any sudden change in ability to breathe or mental status, um, you call 911 so that they can be transferred to the hospital as soon as possible. Um, and you wanna tell them on that call that the symptoms that you have and that you're concerned uh, for COVID, okay? So they can come appropriately to you. And then prior to visiting any healthcare facility, it's good to practice um, calling them ahead of time with your concerns so that they can be ready for you uh, when you arrive. I know that that's hard sometimes to get through, uh, but it's, it's important if, if you're not having severe symptoms. Um, and once you're hospitalized, you can keep in touch with folks, tell folks what's, what's going on. Um, and I feel, I know that we're short on time, but I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, the healthcare system sucks <laughs> and that uh, there are so many reasons not to trust it and not to trust healthcare providers. Um, and I think it's really important that when you're this sick that you, you still go and get care because there is life-saving um, equipment and, um, and care for, for those times. And also when you go to visit your clinic that you tell the providers how to care for you. Um, most people are, are heart-centered um, and they're also tired and drained and, and overwhelmed. And if you just tell them, hey, this is how I need you to treat me, people usually stop, slow down, and are able to, to care for you in the way that you need. That's all for me. Um, so that was a lot. Uh, so right now I'd love to, for you to go ahead and breathe into your body again uh, and ground yourself and hold what the, all the things I've said and think about what's come up for you during this time um, and what are specific things that, um, that you want to do to treat your symptoms, care, things, ways to care for your mind, body, and spirit during these times. So my name is Alandra Williams um, and I'm currently right now in the um, executive director of People's Hub um, and I'm, thank you JD for reaching out for support around the tech and, and then it snowballed into where we are now. Um, but as someone who, ooh, so I have a serious uh, respiratory illness. Um, so as someone with a respiratory illness and autoimmune things and all of the things <laughs> in the universe, um, and has been, I've had a chronic illness my entire life. Um, for me, it's Anna, someone who's an organizer in the world, right? And um, this movement work, it's been really important for me to think about what this means in our movement culture um, and social justice culture, right? Not just in our families, in our communities, but how do we actually in our social justice movement practice what we say we want to preach, right? How do we actually care for each other in radical ways that most of us don't actually get? Um, and so I'll just say as somebody with um, respiratory issues, hand sanitizer is like my death nail. <laughs> so like I spent the last, because I just want to acknowledge, right, that the things that people see that are wonderful, I've been ran out of convention centers, I've been ran out of planes, I've been ran out of everything like people scented lotions and soaps and hand sanitizers. And so the very things that people say that we're supposed to actually use, but some of us are the very things that destroy us. Um, and so I just wanted to name it because I think it's one of the things we don't actually talk about a lot. Um, and so Kristar's already talked about, right? Like not buying into the racism and oppression and the ableism. Um, but for so many of our folks, it's just unconscious, right? So what it means to me to move my walker in and out of places. Um, people don't even get that, right? So what it means and where we're at right now in terms of like what sickness means, 
right? So when everyone's like, oh God, I have a cold, those of us who were always in that shape, it gets even more exacerbated, right? And so when um, you are having challenges in your life, if you actually are chronically ill or disabled, what have the traditional movement and social justice responses been to you? So here's an example. <laughs> so um, I have a friend who had a break and needed time. Instead of people like saying, oh, let's slow down. Let's have a break moment. Instead they were like, you just somebody deal with her. And like, we're gonna keep moving with our day. Or, oh, you had a seizure. What we're gonna do is you're still gonna write the grant report for me as you keep having seizures because the grant report is more important than you going home. Or you are actually not committed to the work because you need to take a break and stay in the bed. And so that's the traditional responses I've seen over my like 25 years in the movement. And so the question is, what would a different response be, right? How do we actually have more liberated spaces and that are filled with mutual care and not just ones we have to do for each other, but ones that other people do for us. And so I'm just gonna share some things um, that we have done at People's Hope. And um, so one thing is that we've really put care at the center of everything, right? So before, even before impact, because if care is not at the center, then you can't actually have the impact you want in the world. So that literally means taking like weeks off, not going, this is vacation time, but time to like be, <laughs> right? Saying, okay, how do we hold each other's needs? How do we not have meetings that last for longer than an hour and a half? I have to actually take like voice breaks. And so now we've instituted like 10 minute voice breaks so that everybody gets a break. Um, slowing down and then asking what you can do and allow the other person to be. Because often in this work, people assume what we can and cannot do and what we want to be able to do or that we shouldn't travel and that we shouldn't do things. And so instead of saying, what actually do you want to do and how can we support each other in that? And so for us, it's been really important to be like to actually ask the questions, to say, how do we hold each other? To say, actually, you have to take it, you need to take time off. It's not good to work until two o'clock in the morning. Um, and to like recalibrate how we hold each other in a different kind of love um, and care. It doesn't mean we have to all be friends all the time, but how we hold each other. Um, and so we would love to hear other people's strategies for how you are doing that. And if, what would a liberatory and transform culture mean and be for you? For those of us that are um, chronically ill, um, to like get over some of the, some of us have cultural barriers to sharing and cultural barriers to looking up disease and have families that are like, you know, you're fine. Unless you can see a thing flying out your body and blood is like, is, is escaping, you don't need to go to the doctor, right? So like, what are all the cultural norms and practices that we actually have to dismantle? Um, to like really like show up and like love on ourselves and love on each other. And then also like, how do we then say to people, what can you do to support me, right? So I was sharing that, you know, I, I have asthma attacks and I never had written down at all, like what you're supposed to do when one happens. And then finally your friend was like, you know, it would be really helpful if you could write it down so that I would know what to do so that I wouldn't feel like stuck and helpless. And so I'm like, okay, we're in this moment where we're getting this information for those of us that are chronically ill, like 
it's actually like even more than like the things that are on the list, right? Because if hand sanitizer actually causes me to go into anaphylactic shock, then you putting on hand sanitizer is actually not the thing I need for me. I need you to use soap and water, right? And so like, how do we able to share that with people? Um, and then the last thing I'll just say um, is that I'm starting a thing I've wanted to do for 20 years, which are community care clinics for movement organizers who have um, chronic illness. And so you'll see we're gonna do one on March 23rd and one on April the 7th, but I'm super excited to talk to other people who are like dealing with the same thing so we can figure out how do we really transform our movement cultures and our organizing cultures and our communities to really like hold us all the way and all of our different ways of being able to. Um, and so thank you all so much for this time. So after all that information, we're going to close with a poem. These are words by Dory Midnight. We are humans relearning to wash our hands. Washing our hands is an act of love. Washing our hands is an act of care. Washing our hands is an act that puts the hypervillage and body at ease. Washing our hands helps us to return to ourselves by washing away what does not serve. Wash your hands like you're washing the only teacup left that your great-grandmother carried across the ocean. Like you're washing the hair of a beloved who is dying. Like you're washing the feet of Grace Lee Boggs, Beyonce, Jesus, your auntie, Audrey Lord, Mary Oliver, you get the picture. Like this water is poured from a jug your best friend just carried for three miles from the spring they had to climb a mountain to reach. Like water is a precious resource made from time and miracle. Wash your hands and cough into your elbow, they say. Rest more, stay home, drink water, have some soup, they say. To which I would add, burn some plants your ancestors burned when there was fear in the air. Boil some aromatic leaves in a pot on your stove until your windows steam up. Open your windows. Eat a piece of garlic every day. Tie a clove around your neck. Breathe. My friends, it is always true, these things. It has already been time. It always is true that we should move and care with care and attention, intention, asking, do you want to bump elbows instead with everyone we meet? It is always true that people are living with one lung, with immune systems that don't work so well, or perhaps work too hard, fighting against themselves. It is already true that people are hoarding things that the most vulnerable need. It is already time that we might want to fly on airplanes less and not go to work when we are sick. It is already time that we might want to know who in our neighborhood has cancer, who has a baby, who is old with children in another state, who has extra water, who has a root cellar, who is a nurse, who has a garden full of elecampane and nettles. It is already time that temporarily non-disabled people think about people living with chronic illness and disabled folks, that young people think about old people. It is already time to stop using synthetic fragrances, to not smell like bodies, to pretend like we are not dying. It is already time to remember that those scents make so many of us sick. It is already time to not take it personally when someone doesn't want to hug you. It is already time to slow down and feel how scared we are. We are already afraid. We are already living in time of fires. When fear arises, and it will, let it wash over your whole body instead of staying curled up tight in your shoulders. If your heart tightens, contract and expand.
Science says, compassion strengthens the immune system. We already know that, but capitalism gives us amnesia and tricks us into thinking it's the thing that protects us. But it's the way we hold the thing, the way we do the thing. Those of us who have forgotten amuletic tradition, we turn to hoarding hand sanitizer and masks. We find someone to blame. We think it will help. Want to blame something? Blame capitalism. Blame patriarchy. Blame white supremacy. It is already time to remember to hang garlic on our doors, to dip our handkerchiefs in thyme tea, to rub salt on our feet, to pray the rosary, kiss the mezuzah, cleanse with an egg. In the middle of the night when you wake up with terror in your belly, it is time to think about stardust and geological time, redwoods and dance parties and mushrooms remediating toxic soil. It is time to care for one another, to pray over water, to wash away fear every time we wash our hands. Thank you. You just heard the recording from the COVID-19 coronavirus conversation about preparedness for people living with chronic illness in the United States. An enormous thank you to my friend JD, the cranky queer, for initiating this, putting in an obscene amount of labor over the last week, um, and bringing people together to have this conversation. Thanks. Um, I'm personally always really fond of obscenity, but um, you know, it took a lot of people to do it. I just put out the call and helped anchor some things. Thank you to you and for the Healing Justice podcast, not just for this, but your role um, in the webinar tech and stuff. And I'd like to uh, thank a lot of the people who are involved, like Celia Lario, Daisy Becerra, Jay Berlin, Soli Carmona, Kelly McGowan, Evie Orman, Dr. Crisaris Sarnelli. Jenny Smith-Kamejo, Kate Sorensen, Emma Lazarski, um, Alandria Williams um, of People's Hub, and all everyone at People's Hub for what you're building and how you helped with this. Also, a lot of this came through folks I met and networks I entered through the Emergent Strategies Institute. So shout out to Emergent Strategies and Adrian Marie Brown. And also word got out and help came in through the great Radical Communicators Network, RADCOMS. Um, and I'm really anchored in my purpose through the Turtle Tank School for Radical Purpose. Mm. So I want to thank that. And then we um, had um, some organizations that also co-sponsored AIDS United, BEAM, which is the Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective, the Counter Narrative Project, Health Justice Commons, ME Action, the Positive Women's Network of the United States, and the Reunion Project. So thanks to everybody. Yes. And shout out to um, JD mentioned Turtle Tank. They did an incredible episode about desire here on the podcast. You can go back in our catalog and find the Turtle Tank episode. You can also find episode 28 with Dory Midnight, whose writing we heard Dr. Crisaris reading at the beginning of uh, that webinar, um, who wrote that that beautiful poem. Um, Check out Dory Midnight's work in episode 28. Um, There are a lot, a lot, a lot of resources that we're sharing with you. We have articles from a lot of trusted folks, including Susan Raffo, who was on episode eight of this podcast, um, including um, Dr. Diana Quinn out of of Michigan, um, and including the slides and a ton of resources that were compiled during and for this webinar. Um, And so folks can check out that whole resource library about... Um, confronting 
COVID-19 coronavirus in community with our justice values, fighting xenophobia, and also keeping the most um, vulnerable and immunocompromised members of our community safe, um, safe and well. And so you can find all of those resources in the show notes. Um, I'm really excited that y'all finally got to meet JD in this like really more audio way. You have been secretly behind the scenes here on our team for, for years now. Yeah, I have been. Yeah, when I heard you put out the call for help and you were always talking about, oh, I'm in my collective house and Ditmas Park. I'm like, I live near Ditmas Park. And I, and I was like, oh, I'll help. So it's been really great and good to um, work with you in person. And to be honest, as a person living with uh, chronic illness and some disability, getting to work in person with people isn't as much a part of my life as it used to be. Um, so uh, that's been a great opportunity for me. And I appreciate your attentiveness to access and finding out different ways for people to help. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, JD, y'all was involved right at the beginning when we were doing our initial research on how to do a decentralized volunteer transcription for the podcast. And uh, that effort has really grown over the past couple of years. In that vein, you can find the transcript of this conversation in the show notes as well um, to share with folks who would have more ease of access through it, through the written word. Um, and JD, how can people stay in touch with the Cranky Queer? I'll just go to the Cranky Queer or the Cranky Queer Guide to Chronic Illness online. You'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening in to this episode of Healing Justice Podcast. You can find all the resources that we've mentioned here at healingjustice.org slash podcast slash corona. Our vast library of conversations with movement leaders about collective healing and social change, as well as practices that you can use for your personal growth or to lead in groups that you're part of, is findable at healingjustice.org podcast. We are actually changing the name of our podcast and organization on March 16th, which is just a few days away. And the Brown sisters are being super generous to run our new trailer here on how to survive the end of the world in just a couple days. So you'll hear that here soon. And you can also sign up for our email list at healingjustice.org to stay in touch in the meantime and make sure you don't miss the transition. A big thank you to the Double Zacks, our sound engineer, Zach Meyer at The Coal Room, and producer of How to Survive the End of the World podcast, Zach Rosen, for being total Zachy Menches, both living in the Midwest. Thanks again to Marie's Mitchell Brody for your guidance around organizational decision-making in this time. We hope that some of the information here can support you and the people you love. Sending you a lot of love and care and robust desire for the mutual aid networks that we all deserve. We are the ones who are going to take care of each other. Hear you soon. Mm-hmm.